0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor of pediatric surgery here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast about surgery and the people who are at the cutting edge of it. We're glad you're here. Our guest today is Dr. David Farley. He's a distinguished surgical educator and general surgeon visiting us from Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Dr. Farley is actually a UW alum, having received both his bachelor's and MD from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. After that, he uh, headed up to the Mayo Clinic for residency and has been there for just about ever since. He's received the Distinguished Educator Award, the Mayo Medical School's Faculty Service Award, and on top of that, he's earned 19 Teacher of the Year awards. As you'll hear, that's not surprising. His work primarily focuses on surgical simulation and the development of simulation curricula, and he's the current associate director of the Mayo Clinic Multidisciplinary Simulation Center and the program director for the Simulation Research Fellowship. With that, we welcome Dr. David Farley to the surgery set. My pleasure. And I understand you're no stranger to Madison. I
1: spent eight and a half years here, did my undergrad and medical school here.
0: Wow. And then from there to Rochester.
1: Yep. Spent uh, five years in general surgery, a year of uh, endocrine research, and then uh, six months in Germany, and then joined the staff back in 1994.
0: Oh my gosh. And you were the program director there for 15 years. 15, yep. And now, as you talk about in your talk with us, you continue to be an enormous champion of surgical education.
1: I'd like to think that's true. (laughs) I I spend a lot of time with it and do a lot of simulation, a lot of hands-on stuff, a lot of online things. I just think Trainees can't get enough education.
0: And obviously, people can go and see your talk online. But one of the things that really struck me was how you have sort of incorporated games and competition into the way that you do your residency training in a really formal way. I think, you know, as I came up through residency, we had a lot of dedicated simulation time, but it was pretty much sort of time on your own. You've created a lot of group activities and a lot of competitions that the X games, you call them. Mm-hmm.
1: I think from my standpoint and what I know of the reading, if you're going to retain knowledge, if you read something and just sort of assume you know it, it doesn't work very well. You can highlight it and read it again, but that doesn't mean you know it. You need to close the book and need to all right, what did I just read? What are the questions? So therefore, assessment is really important. And uh, I do a better job educating if I know where my learners lie. The great thing about surgeons is they are competitive. And at the end of a test, when we do well or do not so well, then we know where we stand and what we need to work on. So people just need to get over the fact of tests. I mean, as a surgeon, every year you got to take some sort of test and credits and and then we take board exams and there's always going to be some sort of an assessment and the ultimate assessment is each and every patient that we take care of. So, just try to make it simple that yep, we're going to assess you. Don't feel threatened, don't feel, you know, unhappy about this. This is just the way it's going to be.
0: And that process starts on pretty much day 1, right? It does, yeah. Interns walk in and
1: Within the first week or two, we try to hold what we call our surgical Olympics. We're not supposed to say the word Olympics, so it's a...
0: Trademarked or whatever,
1: right? Exit, a decathlon, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. But the bottom line is they are going to be assessed, and we're going to take basically 16 different skills, some of them simple and easy, tying a knot, something more difficult, tying an intercorporeal laparoscopic knot. And some of these things are much too hard right from the get-go, but it's nice for them to understand, at the end of five years, I'm going to be able to do this well and they're going to be watching me they're gonna be helping me and they're gonna be assessing me
0: and are interns coming into this blind like they walk into a room and there's a bunch of stations and they just have to sort of figure it out are they given something ahead of time that sort of explains exactly what they're gonna need to be able to do
1: yeah well when we interview our medical students they understand and know And they talk to our trainees and hey just wanna warn you this is gonna happen and there is a little preemptive stuff that comes up to say this is what we want to do and as we get further into this I think there needs to be more of that preemptive sort of, all right, you're getting ready to play a football game. We need to understand the block and tackle and that sort of thing. Same thing with surgeries. Here's sort of the rules. We do have a set of instructions on each door, and the door is a wooden door. You can't see what's behind it, but it tells you exactly what you need to do and how much time. But you're in the middle of a test at this point, and they don't look at it very well, and I think we need to do a better job. And I just met with my research team, and we're talking about, all right, so what instructions can we give without completely giving it away? Well, and part of me says, let's just give it away because I don't really care what they score right now. It's what they score at the end, and the sooner they understand, ah, six facts on a chest X-ray, I can do that. Uh, what's the record for the most fact? I want to get into a competitive mode that we've had kids give us 18, 19 facts in 30 seconds. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's an iterative process, right? So to, they come in, they take it, they mostly fail, they get a little early in internship reminder that they don't know everything. I remember those moments very well. And then they take it again and again and again and again as and time goes on.
1: So. Yeah. The test is the same each time. So for the intern, July and January is the same. And the same thing for our second through the fifth year residents in the fall and the spring. The test will be exactly the same. But each year will vary. So somebody's mm. going to do a pancreatic in the fifth year and somebody's going to do a fine needle aspiration as a second year or a third year. Uh, we, we try to vary the test. We try to make it relevant. As you move up the scale, you know, we're going to make it more complex for you.
0: I was really struck by the hands-on nature of this testing. I mean, some of it is knowledge. Just look at this Chester and tell us. But a lot of it is based on these models that you've created to actually test hands-on ability It's the best way
1: learners to learn. And so I think we gotta get in the habit as surgeons. We ought to be practicing, assessing, and testing on things that are actually real. So if you're a pediatric surgeon and we're gonna do inguinal hernias, what is it that we should be testing on? Probably not adult inguinal anatomy. If we're really gonna be working on a child, all right, maybe this is a two-centimeter incision. And the key thing I'm thinking from you is where do you place that incision? And does the learner know that? You have your own idiosyncrasies of how you do that. We need to make sure they understand that. And then what is high ligation? How high is high? People make terrible mistakes in the operating room. The closer our assessments can come to what it is that we're actually trying to do, the better that's going to be for a working system.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that most impressed me about the way that you've created this system is that I mean, you haven't invested millions of dollars in state-of-the-art computer simulations that appear to resemble actual anatomy. I mean, you've gone to Joanne Fabrics, right?
1: I'm the biggest buyer in Rochester, so I laugh
0: about that. <laughs> I don't know if I am
1: or not, but I spend um, usually a couple thousand dollars in fabric uh, over the course of a year or two. But I still have stashes and stashes of it, and it lasts. And the chest tube model I built—it's a wooden doll. It still works. It's 11 years old, and it's had probably you know 10,000 chest tubes placed in it. That's a bang for the buck. These computer trainers are cool and neat and good, and when they work, they're excellent. I like them. They're useful. But too many times I would get set up for a training session. Ooh, Dr. Farley, bad news—the computer trainer's not working. Can somebody go get me a hot dog at the grocery store because we're going to do the pancreaticojejunum? <laughs> I know the hot dog works. It's most of what we do in surgery doesn't need the high tech thing. Now, granted, as we become more robotic or MIS uh, laparoscopic savvy, yeah, we need to practice that, but it doesn't have to be on a computer trainer that's two hundred thousand dollars that needs repairs every two years and it's out of date in four. You know, the box trainer, we need to cut and sew on bowel. We can cut and sew on felt, and we can also go to the meat shop and get intestine if we need to do that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, you do your pancreatico odigenostomy with fabric and hot dogs, right? Correct. Yeah, correct. And your quipothyroidomy your, uh, with uh, toilet paper roll. Exactly. Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, some of these models are two or three pennies, seriously, for the whole model. There's others that, you know, cost us a little bit of money, but it's well worth it. I mean, if it avoids one complication at one point... I mean, what is that, $25,000 for a deep wound infection? Mm -hmm. That would pay for me for 10 years.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, something that could be replicated anywhere, right? Absolutely. There's fabric across the world that trainees anywhere could use to do this. And you sort of show how you approach it in a series of videos that are available online.
1: Correct. The how to build the model thing isn't completely online yet. Hopefully we'll have that. We have a how-to book of low fidelity that's uh, available right now. Uh, that will be an ebook. It'll be much better online to show you how to build the model and how to debrief and how to what are the pearls of wisdom and whatnot. But the models themselves I think are a good thing. We've taken them to Ghana, Africa. Hmm. We've got people practicing on that. Ghana surgeons love them. It's helping people train better and we're, we're doing things across the planet. I don't have any patent on this thing. They, people can build your own model. You can make it as nice as you want it or as cheap as you want it. We have a way of doing it and it could be mass produced. Uh, maybe there's a market for it at some point. We'll have a, a business, but yeah. I doubt it because it's, it's cheap and it's easy and somebody else can always do it better.
0: And you're, you're confident it works, right? That that testing and practicing on these models leads to better surgery.
1: There's no question in my mind. I can tell who's practiced and who hasn't. If we're going to do a Lichtenstein hernia and I ask them, "Hey, we're going to do a baseball stitch and run a O-proline on the inguinal ligament," and I get that blank look, I know, okay, they have no idea. Is that somebody that I want doing that procedure? Well, On the bottom side of that inguinal ligament is the iliac vessels or the femoral vessels. And last night at dinner, one of your surgeons was telling me about somebody he's going to operate on today with a femoral nerve injury after a Lichtenstein hernia repair. Well, that's typically on a skinny person that somebody took a big bite, fortunately didn't hit the iliacs, but hit the femoral nerve, and the lady can't move her leg. Uh, That's something we can practice on a mind. I can tell you that stitch is too deep. We should be doing that. We shouldn't be practicing on humans anymore.
0: Yeah. And you've created ways for people to take these home and work on them on their own time in in addition to your Xbox games. And the other thing that was really striking to me, as somebody who's done a fair amount of video production and gotten really in the weeds on trying to make sure it's just you know absolutely perfect and the script is just right, you make a huge number of videos. You make them publicly available. and, And they're also sort of low fidelity, in the sense that you talk in real time. It's not tightly edited. It's not tightly scripted. And you make the point that that may actually be a better way to do video production.
1: Several books. I think Miss Miller wrote a book, Minds Online, and talks about having a discussion like you and I are having here. It's better education than if the monotone and the next step is going to be people don't learn that way. They like to be with a living person and a human. And uh, they can't be if it's online. It's a, it's a video, but nice to know that somebody stutters with their words and spits on themselves. And, and I basically tell my team, look, I don't want to do retakes. I don't have time in my day. I'm in between cases here now. I'm going to make five video clips. They're each going to be 30 seconds or so. And then we're done. Oh, but couldn't you redo that one? Not really. Not if it's not inaccurate. If As long as it's an accurate thing and I look a little foolish, I'm okay with that. Yeah.
0: Right. It makes it more accessible. It creates that human... Interaction. It's the same thing with sort of the way you make your models. It's simple drawings, it's simple fabric, but the motions are right. The facts are right. Right. And your website, just so that everybody knows, is
1: surgicaleducation.mail.edu.
0: Okay. You showed some examples in your talk where it's a sort of combination of a talk in front of a board describing and diagramming what each step of an operation followed by actual video of that happening. In the yeah. OR, right?
1: It depends on which tab you click on, but if you want to go into the operations and find lap coley or find inguinal hernia, and if it's me, I've tried to give a whiteboard little spiel, this is what we're going to be doing, and then show a video clip. But then there's many other tabs that there's, talking about two minutes, we have this thing called WC-123, Will and Charlie or the famous Mayo Brothers, Mm -hmm. not Water Closet, but Will and Charlie-123, it's 123 seconds on everything you need to know about insulinoma or gastronoma or pheochromocytoma. There's a lot of little things that we've tried, we've experimented with, that some resonate with medical students, some with college kids, some with our own trainees, some with our staff, some with fellows. There's a tab there that says Insight. We've tried to make some clips for people to really understand the nuance of how to avoid putting a hole in the gallbladder with a laparoscopic cautery instrument. There's a lot of things there I'm proud of. There's a lot of things that are wimpy and I wouldn't say terrible, but, you know, we've got a long ways to go and we're just marching through it, hoping that everybody will take a ride with us and help lead us into better surgical education.
0: And your ultimate goal here is, A, obviously to produce surgeons who are better and safer. But you're also trying to make surgeons faster.
1: I would, Mm -hmm. and I'd like to make the training faster if we could, because there's a lot of pressure from government and educators that, you know, we can't have four years of college and four years of medical school and five years of surgery. It's expensive, and people are in amazing amount of debt. In my mind, wouldn't it be kind of neat and cool that a high school kid from Madison West or East gets to see some of our stuff online and says, hey, I can I can do that cricothyrotomy module. Yes, you can. Hey, and I can go online and get an Xbox and return it back and practice that. And I can send in a video. And a guy from Wisconsin can give me credit for that. Hey, I think I'm going to do a couple more of those. And then when that person goes to college or goes to medical school, might they be already sort of prepared? And we say, you know what? I think maybe you can skip one of these years. You've moved along. You've got the bells and whistles that we're looking for.
0: Yeah, you talked last night about some high school girls who taught themselves one-handed ties and came to your competition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They looked online, and we've got video on there that uh, one of the medical students made a nice effort called uh, Surgeon's Workout. And uh, he asked you to follow him along and how to tie knots and how to instrument tie. And he did a nice job. And they looked at it and said, you know what? We heard that we're going to do this Saving Lives with Gus seminar, and we heard that it's a little bit of a competition. And the high schoolers from 9th and 10th graders, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th graders, actually, and a couple of girls from one of the local schools there in town practice, and it was just blatantly obvious. They were as good as our third-year surgery residents tying one-handed knots. Now, they may be terrible at everything else, but the skill that they practice, I was impressed.
0: Yeah. It's never too early to learn to tie.
1: That's exactly right. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for spending these days with us in Madison. It was really truly an honor to learn from all the amazing work that you're doing over there in Rochester.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here as a true red badger. (laughs) You know, Mayo is a fantastic place and I love it to death, but uh, my learning years were here and I'm uh, loyal to this place as well.
0: Wonderful. Well, welcome back.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoy The Surgery Set or have suggestions on how we can make our program better, please provide us with your feedback. You can rate our podcast and leave your comments on iTunes, Podbean, or Stitcher. Or you can send us an email at podcast The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Veronica Watson and myself. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Alex Worley. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher, and of course you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page, And also find us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery or at J.E. Kohler. That's K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks. We hope you check back soon.